It says, therefore, you shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, and his commandments always. We're going to see that as we go through our study tonight over and over again. You know, um, that if you love the Lord, you will obey him. To love the Lord means that. As we see in this verse, and we're going to see it later on in this chapter, we read the words of Jesus in John 14, verse 15. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You know, one of the first verses I learned as a Christian, I remember my friend, he gave me this little index card, and he wrote James chapter 1, verse 12 on it, and he's told me to memorize it. It says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been proved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. You see, as you go through temptation, the Bible says you're blessed when you endure it, that you, you, know, you come through it shining, you come through it in obedience to God. And he says when you go through that life, God gives you the crown of life, and he says there in conjunction with that whole command, it's those who love him. And that's the way it works, you know. And I'm always really careful in saying that I love the Lord because there's a lot of people that say they love the Lord, but they don't live the life. Well, if you don't live the life, then you don't love the Lord. And that's why it really has to click. It has to click in our life that we must have lives of obedience if we claim to love God. You know, he says right there in verse 1, You shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, and his commandments. How often? Always. You don't take any days off as Christians, huh? No moments off. You're not like, hey, this is a Friday night. You know, I get to do whatever I want. Hey, no one's watching so I can think whatever I want to think and do whatever I do. No, God's always watching. And that's why for us, our goal is to just have a heart of just obeying him all the time, you guys. You know, the people of Israel, they had seen so much and they were accountable. They were responsible. We read it here in verse 2. It says, Know today that I do not speak with your children who have not known and who have not seen the chastening of the Lord your God, his greatness and his mighty hand and his outstretched harm. Now, real quick, a lot of times parents, when they you know, bring their kids to church and they drag them to church service, they're like, hey, did you listen to what he said? Did you listen to what he said? And Moses is saying, listen, I'm not talking to your kids. I'm talking to you. And in this case, we know it was the generation that had seen the chastening and the greatness of the Lord. He says right there in verse 3, His signs and His acts, which He did in the midst of Egypt, to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to all of His land. What He did to the army of Egypt, to their horses and their chariots, how He made the waters of the Red Sea overflow them as they pursued you, and how the Lord has destroyed them. To this day, remember in the book of Exodus, beginning in chapter 3, God came, he appeared to Moses. Then God, through ten plagues, set the people free. There in Exodus chapter 14, when the Egyptian army was chasing them, remember what happened? It opened wide, the children of Israel walked through on dry ground, and then it closed upon all the army of Pharaoh. The Bible says in the book of Psalms that not one soldier survived. In other words, you've seen what the Lord has done. Now, real quick, I just want to pause there for a moment. Be so careful after all that God has done in your life that you don't become a forgetful people. 
Be very careful that in, in your life, it's really easy to do that, that you don't look back on the faithfulness of God and the amazing things that he's done. Because when that happens, it's kind of like all these amazing works that God has done, you end up despising them. You think little of them. And those things which were given to you intending to make you a stronger Christian are no longer valid in your life. And that's what happened with the children of Israel. It happened right away, as a matter of fact. Don't let it happen to you. I mean, you know, I would encourage you to, to write a journal. You know, I know it sounds like a, like a, a girl thing. You're like, you're talking about a diary, Manny? You want me to have a diary? <laughs> yeah, have a diary. I have a diary. Don't tell anybody, but I do, man. And I write down, wow, this is what God did today. And it's so amazing. And sometimes when I, when I get down, I, I go back and I read my, my journal, my, my diary, and it, and it lifts me up. Because God intends those to be, we call them faith builders. God's faithfulness should encourage us in the faith. And the Lord is here telling the people that we're now, they're actually 60 years and above. He's telling them, look at what God's done. I mean, you remember how he defeated Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world. And you remember how he wiped out the army there. It's in Exodus chapter 14. And then in verse 6, it says, And what he did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, the son of Reuben, how the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, their household, their tents, and all the substance that was in their possession in the midst of Israel. But your eyes have seen every great act of the Lord which he did now he's talking about how god has been great and how god has chastened how god has dealt with the children of israel even and not just egypt you know egypt was one that god defeated but then there was a little rebellion going on numbers chapter 16 they call it korah's rebellion a couple of guys joined in with korah and the bible says the earth opened up and it swallowed them think about that imagine that seeing that how accountable they were and you know maybe you didn't see the earth opened up but you saw how god brought you out of egypt didn't you have you ever seen the lord save someone like totally way out there someone like raul reese or mike mcintosh or some of these guys what god has done we've seen it we in the calvary chapel movement have seen so much of god's strong hand and so we are accountable to live the life we really are and we are accountable to pass that on to the next generation. And the way that we do that, the scriptures tell us, is to do it in our daily living. Look what he says there in verse 8. Therefore, you shall keep every commandment which I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and possess the land which you cross over to possess. You guys, be strong. Be strong. Your God is strong. Your God has done great things. The land is yours. The land is already yours. You possess it by grace. You, you inherit it by grace. But now what you need to do is you need to go in and possess it by faith. You need to take those steps. The steps of faith in order to go in and possess the land. You know, we see that right here that God had given them so much. And obedience would bring blessings even beyond their wildest imaginations. You know, we as Christians, man, we receive our spiritual inheritance by God's grace, Ephesians 1.3. 
We claim it by faith and we enjoy it only if we are obedient to his will. You know, I was talking to someone today, someone, a new person coming to the church and just it's so exciting to see, you know, new people because sometimes, man, they have that passion. They have that newness to them, the freshness that I think we need to see every once in a while, you know. And I was just telling her, you know, um, what, what God can do, how God has been so faithful and how he can meet her right, right where she's at. And, you know, I want to encourage you. It doesn't even matter if you're new or if you're old, if you're walking with the Lord for a long time, that there is still good land to gain. Do you believe that? Do you believe that for you, for your tomorrow, for your next week, your next month, your years ahead, however the Lord may tarry, however long that may be, that there's good land ahead of you? There really is. Um, That's what the Lord wants for your life. You know, he says there in verse 9, and that you may prolong your days in the land, which the Lord swore to give your fathers to them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water from the rain of heaven. A land from which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, here it is again, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain, your new wine and your oil. And I will send grass in your fields for your livestock that you may eat and be filled. You see, God is saying, I've done so much for you. I want you now to be a person of faith. I want you to go in. I want you to possess the land. And when you're there in the land, I want you to obey me so that you can then enjoy the land and receive the blessings of the land. Now, for us, it may not be, you know, uh, you know, grapes and grain and, you know, it may not be finances, but it's something better. It's the spiritual blessings that the Lord wants to give to our life. It's the spiritual riches of having a personal and intimate and powerful relationship with God. It's the satisfaction of becoming the man that you're made to become, becoming the woman that God designed you to be. And you go through and things much, much greater than material wealth, the spiritual wealth. And God takes you and he changes you and he fills you with his love and then he goes out and he uses you for his glory. But the way that that happens is you have to have a heart for him. You have to have a heart to obey. You know, the life that God has for us really is an awesome life. I mean, here in this uh, chapter right here, he says, it's not like Egypt. He said, it's a lot different. It really is. You know, and he mentions the fact that, you know, what they would have to do in Egypt, because they didn't get 
any rain. Believe it or not, the, from what I understand, uh, Egypt only gets 1% rain, very, very little amount of rain. And so what they would have to do is they would have to irrigate their crops from the Nile River. And they would literally have all these dams and mechanisms and they would have to pump with their foot. And it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work to gain that type of, you know, water and, you know, the, I guess you could say the, the blessings, so to speak. And, and God was trying to tell the children of Israel, it's not like that. The life and the land that I have for you is a, is a life in which I will rain down from, from heaven the blessings Malachi says that you won't even be able to storm up. There will be the blessings from heaven, the windows of heaven. The windows of heaven will open and will fall on you. And the way that that happens is a a, a life of obedience. It's a life of doing what God calls you to do. It's a life of having right attitudes. It's a life of searching your heart. And if there's anything there that doesn't belong, you've got to kill it. Or it will kill you. It doesn't matter if you fool me. It doesn't matter if you fool everybody else. You can't fool God. And God is saying when you're real and when you're living that life, I'll bless you. And you're not going to have to work for it. You're not going to have to be like, you know, pumping your foot and everything. God says, you just, you just walk in it. You enjoy it. And I rain down these blessings from heaven. You know, when you look at this and you realize the way that it works, it, it's an awesome life. You don't have to strive. You know, I love that about the ministry. You know, there's a part of, you know, the ministry that says, hey, Manny, you better work harder. Hey, Manny, you better go out there and, you know, and, and advertise, you know, and put the church in the newspaper and, you know, do those types of things to make the church grow and stuff like that. And, and I, don't, I don't know, you know, for me, that hasn't been the way that the Lord has led us. You just enjoy your relationship with him, the Lord says. You know, walk with him. And I'll do the work that I want to do at the pace that I want to do it. But the cool thing about it is it'll be people that have been drawn here, led here by the Holy Spirit. And that's really, I think, what we want in life. You know, we don't want to have to go and strive to attain because then we'll have to strive to maintain, huh? And we won't know if it was God who built the church or, you know... Manny or some other guy. Believe me, you don't want a church that's built like that, man. You want one in which the Lord does the work. And the same is true in your life. You don't have to freak out. You don't have to stress out. You just have to fully surrender to him. You know, a while back, we had a problem in our backyard. And one of the sprinklers broke. And we kind of have two levels in our backyard. And so, you know, we asked uh, one of the brothers to come over and, and take a look at it and what he did, and, you know, I think it was probably the best thing at the time anyways, is he just cut off the sprinklers, man. <laughs> and so we don't have any sprinklers in our backyard. And it is a drag, watering the whole backyard by hand and watering all the plants. And how many of you have sprinklers in your... In, it, man, those are cool, huh? <laughs> just automatically, boom. You don't have to waste an hour a day in the summer you know, watering everything. And, and the Lord is saying that's kind of the way it is when you, when you walk with me with a heart that's right. You watch how I'll bless your life, how I'll take care of you. I'll give you the early rain. I'll give you the latter rain just when it is there. The autumn rains, that would be the fall coming September and October. And then the latter rains uh, in our calendar anyways would be the March and the April rains. You know, and in looking at this, one quick thing before we leave, I think it's okay to even dig a little deeper because the latter rain is mentioned in the Bible numerous times. Jeremiah 5, Hosea 6, 
Joel 2, James 5 even mentions the latter rain. And a lot of times it's in reference to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You know, and it's so cool. John mentions, John Corson mentioned, it won't happen by the works of our feet or men. It happens when the Lord Most High rains down His righteousness, His Spirit, His power upon our life. You see, obedience brings blessing and disobedience would not only short-circuit God's blessing, but would actually call His chastening down upon our life. Because look what it says there in verse 16. It says, Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you, and he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain and the land yields no produce and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. You know, sometimes, not always, but sometimes the reason why things are dry is because we don't have that heart of passion for the Lord, that, that heart of obedience. Now, sometimes we go through dry spells as Christians and God is testing your faith. So whatever you do, man, you just stay and walking with him and in love with him. But, you know, don't just casually, you know, flippantly say, well, it's just that. You know, maybe it's that we've kind of lost the fire. And he says a lot of times what happens is when we go and we begin to get distracted, serving other gods, worshiping them, that there's no rain. There's no rain on our life. And it's a dry season that we might go through. You see, what we need to do is we need to plant the word in and then pass the word on. Because look what he says there in verse 18. It says, therefore, here's what you do. You shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, like the days of the heavens above the earth. And so God is just saying, and it's kind of cool, you guys are here, and I know you're hungry for the word. It's a Thursday night, you could be doing a million other things, but... Here you are uh, in a Bible study. But don't think that just going to the Bible study is enough. He says right here that you've got to lay these words up. He says where? In your heart and in your soul. I mean, that's where they have to go if there's going to be any hope for us changing. He says right there that as you become a God follower and you begin to listen to the word, I, I like what he says right here. You you uh, bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You teach them to your children and you do it as you live life, man. And one guy said this, the word of God was to be the subject of household conversation. The word of God, John Corson said, should be woven into the fabric of your home. People should sense that your house is a sanctified spot. You know, it's one thing to be involved in the ministry, and it's a blessing, you know, to be able to have our different places there. But make sure you take care of your family. And make sure, especially those of you who are parents, 
that you're giving the word of God to your children. That's what he says right there, verse 19. Teaching them to your children, speaking of them when you sit down, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You know, if you're a dad here and if you've got kids or I don't know, maybe there's some type of sphere of influence. Maybe you're a single mom. doesn't matter. I do encourage you to have Bible studies with your family. I would say, you know, ask the Lord, what's the conviction for my family, Lord? Uh, maybe it'll be, you know, every other night or maybe it'll be every night where you sit down and you say, hey, get up over here. You round up the truths, man, and you get into the word and you read a chapter a day. Uh, especially if your kids are young, if I could just say this to you, man, it would be so cool for you to have read the whole Bible before you let your children go. Read your, the whole Bible with them. Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, I think that would be a great heritage. I think you should have some type of a conviction. There should be some type of scheduled, formal, so to speak, Bible studies. Not that you're going to teach them Greek and Hebrew, but that you just read it together and you just make the Lord the center of your home. But not just the formal studies, I believe almost more than that, the informal studies, huh? where you take all the different things that they go through in life and, man, you just show them how to apply the word and how this verse applies to that, that they might be going through. And as you do that, I think what you're going to end up doing is you're going to pass the baton on. And for you husbands, with your wives, and for you friends and individuals, man, the word of God should be woven into the very fabric of your home. You see, because when you give them the word of God, then you've given them authority. This is what we need to obey in life. Look what he says in verse 22. It says, For if you carefully keep all these commandments, which I command you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you, and you will dispossess greater and mightier nations than yourselves. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours, from the wilderness and Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, even to the western sea shall be your territory. See, God wants it to be real. You know, the children of Israel, you know, they heard this word right there. And, you know, they, what they did was they made phylacteries. And they would, you know, take these little boxes and they would tie them to their forehead or they would tie them on their hands. They even have the little box in which they would put up in their, in their, um, in their houses. And what it did is it had this scripture in there. It had different scriptures in there. And, you know, it was kind of like a, a religious icon for them. As a matter of fact, the Jews, what they would do is they would tell the, the parents, they would say, okay, when you have a child, the first thing you want to teach them to do is to touch the phylactery, touch the little boxes when they come in the house. It was kind of a religious thing. You know, it was their way of trying to say that, you know, God is our God and we will obey his word. But, but that's just the, the, the superficial stuff, right? That's just the religious stuff. See, God wants it to be real. God wants it to be lived out loud. God wants it to be exemplified in our life for our kids. Because when we live the life and then we pass the baton on, then they're going to live the life. And what ends up happening is they're going to be blessed. And, you know, like I always try to tell my kids, man, that God has something that he wants you to do and whatever the land is, that you will possess everything that he wants. 
Now, according to uh, Bible teachers, Israel, even to their greatest extent, only possessed 10% of the land that was intended for them. You know, because right here he says that they were supposed to have the land all the way over to the Euphrates River. That would include modern-day Iraq, modern-day Iran, all the way over there to the Euphrates River, over here to the sea where the Philistines were, south to Egypt, north. That was supposed to be their land. But they only got 10% of it. Why? Because they did not love the Lord the way that they should. Now we take that and then we apply it to our life. How much of the land are you possessing? How much of the land are you enjoying? We have an opportunity now to go back and to see this in kind of in a visual way and then to search our hearts and to say, Lord, where am I at in all these things? Am I really living for the Lord? Ah, but this big enemy comes and he comes against me and I'll bet you there's 10 demons that are after me. And God says, listen, when you love me, there in verse 22, and you walk in my ways and you hold fast to who? To me. He says, and I'll drive them out. I wouldn't be surprised if some of us here are being overpowered because we're not really loving the Lord we sh- the, the way that we should. And God says, listen, man, I want to encourage you in the Old Testament truth. You see the visual illustration there to understand that I want to bless your life and I want to use your life. And there's this land that I want to give you. And the way that we possess the land is by faith and the way that we enjoy it is through obedience. You see, we know one day that they will possess the land. There was an element of an unconditional promise to them. That will happen during the millennial reign when the Lord Jesus Christ sits at his throne in Jerusalem. But until then, we see that they are living nowhere to where God intended them. And so may that motivate us to go and to begin to live the life the way that God wants us to. Because look what he says here in verse 26. Behold, I said before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandment of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. And if we could just stop there, it's pretty simple, huh? You know, and in a sense, the same is true today. You know, we, of course, are saved by grace, like I said already before, And we will possess by faith the land that God has for us. But it's through obedience that we enjoy the land. And what God wants us to do is so God wants us to understand, even as New Testament Christians, that it's very simple. I'm setting before you today a blessing and a cursing. A blessing if you obey me and a cursing or a chastening if you don't. He says there in verse 28 in the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after other gods which you have not known. Now it shall be when the Lord your God has brought you into the land which you go to possess, that you shall put the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Are they not on the other side of the Jordan toward the setting sun in the land of the Canaanites who dwell in the plain opposite Gilgal, beside the terebinth trees of Morah. For you will cross over the Jordan and go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you, and you will possess it and dwell in it. 
And you shall be careful to observe all the statutes and judgments which I set before you today. We'll see later when we get to the book of Joshua chapter 8 that they actually did this. If there were these two mountains and they had half the tribes on this side and the other half on this side and these would pronounce the, the terms of obedience and the children of Israel were to respond amen and these would reiterate uh, the terms of disobedience and the cursings that would follow and the children of Israel would pronounce amen and it's basically a clear understanding as they were entering into this covenant relationship with God that this is the terms of the agreement. And so I just want to encourage you guys to have that heart, man. You know, for some of you here, you know, I think God wants more. I really do, man. I really think God wants more from us. How's your prayer life? You know, seriously, man. Do you ever go online and look at the prayer requests we have for the website and lift those things up? Do you ever wonder, like, who are the overseers here in the ministry and begin to lift them up by name? Do you ever pray for the things in the bulletin? And yet you're part of this church. I think for a lot of us here, God is calling us deeper. God is calling, you know, more. I know by my own life, you know, I think God is saying, man, you need to wake up a little earlier. How many of you, sometimes we wake up in the morning and you hear a still small voice that says, get up and pray. But you're like, no way, Jose, I'm going to stay in a little longer. And you actually get, get ripped off. You rip yourself off. You know, and God just says, I'll give you strength. Don't worry, man. You get out of bed. Take a step of faith, you know. And, and I, just, I just really believe that a lot of what I'm seeing in the church, and you know, and if I could just say this, is that people are going the wrong way. They're going the wrong way. Rather than going deeper, sometimes into the ministry, they're, 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 they're actually loosening their commitment to Christ. I see it. They're, they're losing the fire. They're losing the fire. And, and it's like, you know, we're getting caught up in our own life. We forgot that our life is, is not our own. And we're wanting to live something a lot more comfortable. And that's not what God's calling us to do in these days that we live in. I'm sorry, man, but it's going to hurt. It's going to cause pain. There must be sacrifices that we need to be willing to make. We can't travel the path of least resistance. To wake up, we have to pray, we have to get into the word until it burns in our heart. Then we have to go out and we have to ask God to give us eyes to evangelize, to have a passion. And whatever gifts we have been given to God, we must give them back. Whatever opportunities are there, God's opened doors for us. It's like we don't even want to go through those doors sometimes. I don't understand. What do we want to do? I, I just, we need to make sure that we search our hearts. You know, I don't want to give you my convictions, but I know even myself as a pastor, God's calling for more in my life. And I, and I just really believe that if that's in me, I know it's got to be in some of you too. God wants us to step it up, man, because we're living in days in which there's blessings and cursings. And, you know, if he's calling us to do a certain thing, I think we got to obey him. It's not a matter of, Lord, let me think about it. It's not a matter of, Lord, you know what? I don't know if it's going to really work out in my schedule. It's a matter of, what does God say? Have you listened? Have you prayed? Have you really searched your heart to ask God, what do you want, Lord? And once he says, then you 
do rather than just saying, hey, Lord, let's talk about this and God's your co-pilot, you know? God's not supposed to be your co-pilot. He's your pilot. We're supposed to follow Him. And in looking at this right here, I think a lot of times, you know, we as Christians, we, we just, man, a lot of times we're, we're not really understanding the way that it works. God wants a heart of obedience. Every conversation, every contemplation, everything you do at home and at work and, you know, in the highways and byways, in the malls, all, all the places that you go, you are representative of His. And so He wants you to be careful, you guys. And we see that over and over again. Be careful, be careful, be careful that you don't lose the fire. He says in chapter 12, these are the statutes and judgments when you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall possess serve their gods on the high mountains and on the high hills and under every green tree. And you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and burn their wooden images with fire. Uh, You shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. Now, a lot of people believe that chapters 5 through 11 is kind of like a general, you know, call. And now we get to chapter 12, all the way to chapter 26. He's going to get more specific in the things that God requires of them. Some people even see from chapters 12 through 26 a progression of the Ten Commandments. It's kind of interesting. But here he says, when you go in and you see the high places and they've got their altars and they've got their you know, icons and their idols, God says, I want you to utterly destroy them. I mean, you don't mess around. You get rid of everything and anything that would be a temptation to you in your life. You know, and it's kind of cool when you read that right there. Uh, Moses right here in giving his second speech, giving specific stipulations, wants the people to annihilate all the temptations. Warren Risby said, Moses pointed out that anything idolatrous remaining in the land was dangerous because it might become a tool for the devil to use in tempting Israel. And the same is true in your life. You got to go home and you got a clean house, you know? For some of you here, it means that all that music, all that Black Sabbath you listen to, you got to get rid of it, right? You know, all the pagan literature, the ungodly music, ungodly movies, messages, old photos, phone numbers of ex girlfriends or boyfriends, what do you need that for? He says, get rid of everything, anything that would be a temptation, a stumbling stone. Maybe it's a picture. Maybe it's a statue. I don't know. I remember my father-in-law. He got saved and he had these nude uh, statues. I'm like, man, you're saved now. Why, <laughs> why are these here? You know, but for him, prior to becoming a Christian, I guess it was art. Now it's different. You get rid of things, man. You clean house. And that's what Moses was saying. Whatever you do, you know, don't mess around with that. You know, the Canaanites, as well as other nations... They believed that they could contact their gods in the high places, and so they would have the altars there. And so he says, man, you've you got to make sure that you don't mess around like this. He says right there in verse 5, but here's what you do. You shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place, and there you shall go. 
There you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, your vowed offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all to which you have put your hand, you and your households, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. You see, God has a way. God has specifics of worship. And we don't do it the way that the world does. We don't. If you go fishing with the worldly, you know, hooks, I guess you could say, you're going to find people who are hungry for what? The world. But you've got to do it God's way. And he says, and when you get there in the land, you don't just go up to that high place or that high place or this different altar. Or you don't go and worship that idol. But there's a specific place we see in the book of uh, Judges and Joshua that it would be Shiloh. Eventually, 500 years later, it would be Jerusalem. God says, that's where I want you to go. Now, of course, we know now there's not a building necessarily that you know the presence of God is in. You're the building. But it doesn't mean that we don't congregate as a church. The Bible talks about how the over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the local assembly was the temple of God. And there's something about that. But anyways, in looking at this, the Lord says, you don't just do it you know, that way or that way. What you've got to do is you've got to do it my way. As a matter of fact, look what he says there in verse 8. You shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. You see, and I know some of you here are very moral and upright, outstanding citizens, man. And some of you here are very you know, wise and smart and intellectual and you have a good education. But it doesn't matter who you are. We cannot do things simply because they're right in your eyes. We must do things that are right in God's eyes. huh? And isn't that the problem that we have in the world today, in America today? What's wrong with our country today? What's wrong with our world today? Is that they think they're smarter than God. Huh? Obama, he said, hey man, you know, I think that the homosexuals are born that way. They don't have a choice. And so they overturn, you know, don't ask, don't tell. And it's a big, it's going to be crazy. I mean, they're destroying, they are destroying our country. Destroying our, our military. God's allowing all these to happen, things to happen. We know the Lord's on the throne. But the heart of the problem is that they are doing what's right in their own eyes. And that has infiltrated, that has poisoned the church as well. You know, we've forgotten that our you know, calling is not just to do what's right in our own eyes. It's to do what's right in God's eyes. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Repeated later in Proverbs 16.25. And this later becomes the chief characteristic of the people of Israel during the later periods of apostasy. If you read Judges chapter 17, verse 6, and chapter 21, verse 25, it basically says that the people did what was right in their own eyes. And that's what Moses here is saying, you can't do that, you guys. You know, what we have to do is we have to find out what God's will is and then simply go out and live it. And he repeats in verse 9, look what he says. For as yet you have not come to the rest and the inheritance which the Lord your God has given you. But when you cross over the Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God has given you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies round about so that you dwell safely, 
then there will be the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. And there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, and all your choice offerings which you vow to the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion, no inheritance with you. And take heed to yourself that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see, but in the place which the Lord chooses in one of your tribes. There you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. God says, this is where I want you to worship. It's not just wherever you want. It's not the high place here and there. There will be a specific place that we will gather together. And when you go and you offer your sacrifices and you bring your free will offerings and your tithes and your heave offerings, it's kind of cool because he says, bring the whole family. And as you're there, you know, you rejoice in the Lord because of that relationship that you have. And it's so cool when you do things God's way how he brings that joy to our heart. Look what he says even in verse 15. He says in verse 15, However, you may slaughter and eat meat within all your gates, whatever your heart desires, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. The unclean and the clean may eat of it, and the gazelle and the deer alike. Only you shall not eat the blood, you shall pour it on the earth like Water And so God says, just in case you're wondering, it's okay to, to eat meat, man. You can eat as much as you want. There you can have a barbecue in your house. You can have big old thick steaks. No problem. You know, lately what we've been barbecuing there uh, at the police department, we've been spoiling them actually. We've been giving them a tri-tip. Really, really big old thick steak. And they love it, you know. But, um, you know, some people may wonder, well, so you mean to tell me that I can't eat meat at my home, that I got to go all the way over there to Shiloh and then later on to Jerusalem? And God says, no, you can eat as much meat as you want. So it's actually biblical. You don't have to be a vegetarian, okay? <laughs> but he says there in verse 16, the only thing is you have to be kosher and you make sure that you don't eat the blood. And we'll talk more about this when we get towards the end. He says there in verse 17, you may not eat within your gates the tithe of your grain or your new wine or your oil of the firstborn of your herd or your flock or of any of your offerings which you vow of your freewill offerings or of the heave offering of your hand. But you must eat them before the Lord your God in the place which the Lord your God chooses, you and your son and your daughter, your male and female servant and the Levite who is within your gates. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God in all to which you put your hands." Take heed to yourself that you do not forsake the Levite as long as you live in your land. So the Lord, again, is just repeating himself. He's saying, don't eat your tithe there at your house. You take it to where it belongs. And as you go, remember, I'm going to bless you with joy, you and your family. Because as you go and as you're offering that tithe and you're giving to the Lord off the top, one of the things that he says right there in verse 19 is you're providing for the Levite. And remember, the Levite has committed himself to serve the Lord and to represent you to God. And, and you know, you know, it's an awesome, awesome opportunity. And so he says, what I want you to do is I want you to make sure that you never forget to provide for them. He says, meat's okay. Just make sure you stay kosher and you're in the right place. You read that again in verse 20. 
He says, when the Lord your God enlarges your border as he has promised you, and you say, let me eat meat because you long to eat meat, you may eat as much meat as your heart desires. If the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, then you may slaughter from your herd and from your flock, which the Lord has given you, just as I have commanded you. And you may eat within your gates as much as your heart desires. There it is again, just you know, having that meat. Just as the gazelle and the deer are eaten, so you may eat them. The unclean and the clean alike may eat them. Only be sure that you do not eat the blood. For the blood is the life. You may not eat the life with the meat. You may not eat it. You shall pour it on the earth like water. You shall not eat it, that it may go well with you and your children after you. When you do, there it is again, what is right in the sight of the Lord. Only the holy things which you have and your vowed offerings you shall take and go to the place which the Lord chooses and you shall offer your burnt offerings, the meat and the blood on the altar of the Lord your God and the blood of your sacrifices shall be poured out on the altar of the Lord your God and you shall eat the meat. Observe and obey all these words which I command you that it may go well with you and your children after you forever when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. You see, you guys, we, we inherit the land by, by God's grace. We possess the land by faith and we enjoy it by obedience. And, and God says, man, you want to eat meat? Go ahead and, and, and have meat. That's not a problem. But one of the things that I want you to do is I want you to make sure you bring your sacrifices to where they belong. You've got to worship the Lord and you've got to worship His way and you've got to worship where He says. But one of the things, though, that you've got to be careful of is that you've you got to make sure, because in those days, the, the pagans would actually drink the blood. They would drink the blood, they would have these blood offerings, and then they would take some and they would drink it themselves. And one of the things that God would etch into the minds of the children of Israel in the very beginning of the covenant is that there was something about the blood that needed to be sanctified. And what it was, you guys, was from the very beginning, Jesus wanted the, I mean, the Lord wanted to uh, remind them that the blood would be symbolic of the blood of Jesus Christ. That one day on that cross, Jesus Christ would die for our sins. And what God wanted them to do is God wanted them to set this apart and God wanted to make sure that they themselves were sanctified as individuals. You know, when you see that right there and you read what Jesus has done for us, it's amazing, man. Um, You know, Wiersbe said this, we aren't saved from our sin by the life of Christ or the example of Christ, but we are saved by the sacrificial death of Christ. God purchased our freedom, how? With the blood of his son. And in that, he has forgiven us of our sins. And so from the very beginning, even over in the book of Hebrews, the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. But what they did in those days is they would offer the blood of the, you know, the animals there in the altar. And, and that would just kind of cover the sin. That's all it was. It was just a cover. It was a kofar. But now when you give your life to Christ and when you surrender your life to him, what ends up happening is Jesus comes in and he washes away all our sins. 
And so he was trying to make that there, you know, early in history so they would look forward to the cross. And in doing all these different things, they were preparing the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. And for us to be able to go back and to see, like today, I don't know if you guys did your reading, Isaiah chapter 53, man, what God has done for us, man. It's amazing, huh? How in his blood, you and I are clean. That Jesus died for us. That he was humiliated. That they spit on him. And they, you know, mocked him. And they beat him. And they nailed him to a cross. And it's not necessarily that there was magic in the blood. I, I don't know that that was really the case. It's not that there was magic in the blood. It's just that he was willing to go all the way. And what the blood symbolizes is the fact that he died for us, you guys. He died for us. And therefore, I think we need to do the same thing. I think we need to take up our cross, and I think we need to die to ourselves. And that's not a pretty picture. You know, we wear a cross right here on our chest, and we put a little cross on our earrings, and sometimes we put a cross in the church or the top of the, and it's all pretty and everything, you know? And we think that that's the way our Christian life is going to be. It's going to be real pretty. No, a cross is ugly. There's a lot of blood there. There's a lot of pain there. There's a lot of sacrifice there. That's our calling. I know for us as Americans, it's tough to kind of put two and two together, you know, because if you were in a third world country, it'd be different. But even here in America, there's a cross to carry. Why? Because we're Christians. Jesus didn't say, well, if you live in America, it's going to be a little different. You can have a very comfortable Christianity. I mean, how are we denying ourselves? What are we doing? Think about it in your own life. I have to think about it in my own life. What's going on in my life that's being crucified? What is there in my life that I want to do, but I'm not doing because God told me not to? I mean, where is my cross? Where's your cross? You see, the blood, it's the seed, really, they say. It's the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And when I think the modern day church catches that understanding, I think it's then we'll begin to win the world again for the Lord the way that he wants us to. All I'm saying is, is for some of you here, maybe you're doing good, man. Maybe you're right on. Maybe things are happening, you know. But for a lot of you here, for you know myself here, I think that there's a deeper walk. I think there's a deeper commitment. I think there's a deeper sacrifice that God is calling us to live. And because when I stop right here and, you know, we go through all these things and, you know, the, the, ho- the whole message is just really about obedience, 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 so that your children would be blessed after you. And for some of you, yes, that means your biological children. But for all of us here, in some way, shape or form, we have like these descendants, these people around us that we're affecting, that are watching us under a microscope. And they're wondering, how is your life different? Are we impacting them? You know, I just know that we need to step up and we need to really begin to live that life. He says right here, man, don't, don't drink the blood. Don't drink the blood. Don't, don't, you know, eat the blood because that's symbolic of the blood of my son. One day that he would die for us. And I thank God for that, man, that he has washed away my sins. But I don't just say, hey, cool, now I'm saved. And, you know, I'm going to just kind of cruise into heaven. No, I say he died not only for my sins, he died for her sins and his sins and their sins. 
And what God wants us to do now is to be sold out and surrendered and then go and to worship the Lord. He says here in verse 29, When the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which you go to dispossess, and you displace them and dwell in their land, take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed from before you, and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? I also will do likewise. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, for every abomination to the Lord which he hates, they have done to their gods. For they burn even their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. That was the idols of Molech and Chemosh. And they would heat them up and they would kill their children. And God says, man, make sure you don't get caught up in the ways of the world. He says there in verse 32, Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it nor take away from it. And the Bible says that over and over again. We read it earlier in Deuteronomy 4, verse 2. Don't add to the word. Don't take away from it. Read the same thing in Proverbs 30, verse 6. Don't add to the word, lest he rebuke you. You'll be found a liar. Revelation 22, 18 and 19. God says, I, you know, the same thing essentially. I'll even bring a curse to those who find themselves adding to it or taken away from it. And so here it is right here. It's the word of God. I want to encourage you to read it, to heed it. I want to encourage you to meditate upon it. I really want to encourage you guys, man, to read the Bible more, you know, to get into the word. Turn off the television and ask God to speak to your heart. You know, nowadays you can go online, you can listen to studies. Um, You know, it's awesome, man, the way that God has given us you know, the word of God to be able to soak in. Um, But make sure that you don't add to it and and take away from it. You know, and real quick, I want to read to you something uh, that I wrote a while back in in reference to this. It talks about adding to the word or taking away from it. He said, I said this, "Is is with great sorrow that I ponder this passage. For many, many misguided people, Christians, teachers, pastors alike, have violated this very vital verse. They've added to the word or they've taken away. There are different ways to add to the scriptures. It can be a book, for example, the Book of Mormon or the Quran or the New World Translation. It can also be our human rules and regulations. It could be the behavioral burdens that we place on the brethren. The Jews of Jesus' day, think about it, had taken the Ten Commandments and in their attempt to make the Ten Commandments practical, they added 612 commandments. You see, they added to the word of God. We know that Jesus severely rebuked them in Matthew chapter 23. There are not only different ways to add to the scriptures or different ways to take away from the scriptures. For example, the Jesus Seminar is a group of 150 men who went through the Gospels and in their own decision and volition decided what was genuinely the words of Jesus and what wasn't. In the end, they erased 78% of Jesus' words. Other people omit the full counsel of God when forming doctrine. And even Satan, when he quoted scripture to Jesus, he omitted four very important words that changed the meaning. You see, every word and every verse is vital. This is why Moses says what he says here in the book of Deuteronomy. God issues a heavy warning, which I believe is applicable to the entirety of God's truth, to those who tamper with it 
And so I pray today, may God graciously strike fear into our hearts to never ever play footloose and fancy free with the holy word of God. You know, all we have to do is read it, you guys. All we have to do in looking at it is take it at face value. And know tonight, know tonight that God is calling us to enjoy Him and the way that we enjoy Him is by obeying Him. And so I encourage you tonight, every night you go home, you live your life, let that just be the dominant desire of every single heart here. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. And Lord, I thank you for allowing us to be able to study the book of Deuteronomy, Lord. Uh, It can be tough sometimes, Lord, to know that uh, you've called us, Lord, to a life of sacrifice, a life of the cross. Father, forgive me, Lord, for those times when I've taken the easy route, Lord, when I've uh, catered to my flesh, Lord. I I pray, Lord, that you would just awaken me and awaken anyone here, Lord, who maybe needs to live that life of the cross in a greater way, Lord. I pray, Father, we would know and we would understand what your word says, that if Jesus died, then we should no longer live for ourselves, but we should live for you, Lord. And so I pray as a church, Lord, you would continue to fan that fire, you would continue to stir us up. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would open the windows of heaven tonight. Lord, my desire, Father God, is that you would rain down your righteousness, that you would rain down your Holy Spirit upon the people that are here, that older people, that middle-aged people, that the young people that are here today would completely, that we would completely commit our life to you. Father, I know we're going through hard times, Father God, but I know even in that, that when we get our eyes on you, Lord, that when we begin really to just fall in love with you once again and to focus on you completely, Lord, that you will give us wisdom in everything. And I believe, Father, that you will comfort every heart here. You will lead us. You will guide us. And you will grant us, Father, my prayer tonight is that you would grant us a passion like we have never, ever had in our life, Lord, stronger, greater, bringing you more glory, Lord. And help us, Lord, not to just get emotional, Father God, but to connect the dots and to really hear your voice. Lord, what would you have me to do? Please, Lord, lead us as a church. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.